Would you turn in your Bible, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a very severe question on our hearts today, and it's being asked all across the Baptist world, who will win America? Who will win America? There's a battle raging for this nation, for the minds of Americans, for God's people. One night when Robert Louis Stevenson was around six or seven years old, he was at a window watching the lamplighters at work. One by one, the lamplighter would light the lamps as he walked down the street. The lad was fascinated and quiet. His nurse feared he was in some kind of mischief and she called out asking, well, what, he was, what are you doing? And he answered, I'm watching a man make holes in the darkness. I'm watching a man make holes in the darkness. We need some holes made in the darkness of our world. And we're going to give an account of how we, in our generation, have handled this matter. I want to talk to you this morning about the storm and the severity and the Savior. May we pray. Our Father, we humble ourselves in thy presence this morning and ask for the Lord to speak to hearts. We pray that there will be men and women and boys and girls who would say, I want to make a hole in the darkness. I want to light some lamps. I want to be used by God in a dark and perverse world. We pray that America shall not be won by those who would cause her to be adrift and go down the perilous seas. But thou wouldst put it upon the hearts of men and women and boys and girls who love God to say, I'm going to stem the tide. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. May the Holy Spirit do His work of conviction and drawing people to Jesus. We ask it in His name. Amen. If we're going to make holes in the darkness, we need to give, we need to glow, we need to go. Nobody ever made a hole in the darkness. Nobody ever lighted a lamp who didn't give some energy, who didn't give some time, who didn't give some strength. No one ever changed the course of history who didn't recognize the severity of the times in which you lived, the cost if the change was not made. And nobody has ever made a mark for God who did not realize the Savior and receive Him, and trust Him, and live Him. Paul had something like this in mind 
when he was writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, almost everything Paul wrote was a no-soul thing. He said one time, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In this particular passage, he said, for we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, being, being, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for this selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, whether we labor, uh, wherefore we labor, whether, uh, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There's a world population clock, like the one the Census Bureau uses in Washington to keep track of the United States population growth. On the average, 3.9 babies are born every second. Just under 1.7 people die every second. This amounts to a gain of 2.2 per second, 132 per minute, 190,000 per day, 1.3 million per week. Forty years ago, the world population was increasing by only 40 million annually. America has over 250 million people now. There are almost five billions of people in our world. There are people out to win this world. The cultists, the secularists, the socialists, the communists, the humanists, they're out to win America. And if we just sit idly by with a case or all sorrow attitude and say it really doesn't make much difference, I'm not going to get very excited about it. I'll punch in on Sunday morning and snooze through the service a little bit, and then I'll get out and go eat my Sunday dinner, and I'll have the rest of the day to do what I want to do, and I will have done my dues for God until next Sunday. That's not going to get it done. Some years ago, 35% of the world's population called themselves Christian. Today, fewer than 24% in any sense at all 
call themselves Christians, which includes many of the cults, and the Roman Catholic Church, which includes its babies, 24%. Someone has said that by the year 2000, if the Lord's Church does not change radically its approach to world evangelism and to reaching America for Christ, America will be the leading mission field of the world and there will be fewer than 2% of the world's population calling themselves Christians. Now Paul, near the end of the first century, after he had been saved and changed by the power of God, went around the world and he did everything he could to bring people to Jesus. And before he died, on the Appian Way outside the city of Rome. Everybody in the then known world had had a chance to hear the gospel. The gospel had been preached in the Balkan areas, in Spain, in Africa, in England. And he went before the very Roman emperor and there he talked about Jesus. Now he's the one that is telling us what we're reading here in 2 Corinthians. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're living in days of a knowledge explosion. Knowledge is doubling every 10 years. Printed material is doubling every 15 years. 70% of all the medicines that we use today were developed since World War II. 80% of all the scientists in history who have ever lived are alive today. The laser beam was discovered in 1961. It measures the distance in space travel. It welds metals. It fires rockets. It performs delicate surgery. And yet this is a time of great lawlessness. 47 million divorces. 550,000 deaths from drunk driving. 23 million users of illegal drugs. 18 million babies killed by abortion. 9.5 million illegitimate births. 65% of all teens have sex before marriage. 17 million practicing homosexuals. 10 million alcoholics. Now why all of this? And I know you didn't come to church this morning just to hear a recital of statistics. We have a very severe problem. And most of us as Christians are not quite aware of this problem. We've grown up in it. We're surrounded by all the time. It's become commonplace to us. And we forget if we ever knew that God says righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin will tear down that which past generations of Americans have tried to build up. And our nation is in perilous danger of being taken over by humanists and secularists and the cultists and the communists. Oh, I don't mean they're going to march into the cities with their guns and their cannons. I guess that could happen. Probably the great perilous danger to America today is not even from the atomic and hydrogen warfare, as severe and tragic as that is. And we need to do everything we can to try to negotiate and try to help that 
But the great problem is the indifference among God's people. Just total indifference. Jesus said, John, I want you to write the church at Laodicea and say, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot or cold, and so thou, because thou art neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You're lukewarm. These are times of indifference. Believers have forgotten our true citizenship. We have mixed standards, forgetting that narrow is the way that leads to life. The Bible is neglected. Church services are missed. Grudges are harbored. Roland Q. Level, writing in his book, The Romance of Evangelism, gave us these unbelievable statistics several years ago. He said in the average Baptist church, 30% never pray. 45% never serve. 55% never go to Sunday school. 75% never go on Sunday night. 85% never attend prayer meeting. And 95% never do anything to win somebody to Jesus. Who will win America? Let me talk to you out of my heart a moment. As long as we think that the churches of America will win America, or as, we, as long as we think that Southern Baptists would win America, or as long as we think that our government, our Congress, or our president can so stand that he could win America, we're in for a rude and tragic awakening. Everyone in this room today and within the sound of my voice is part of the winning force of America. And you're going to win it to whatever is important to you. We laugh a little bit about our craze for sports. I know there's something valuable about being able to go and yell your head off and get all excited and, and scream and holler and, and, uh, and say down with the referees when they make bad calls and all that kind of thing and get all excited and go to the rafters when we win. There's something valuable about that. But when America becomes so sports crazed, that that's the summum bonum of our life. That's what we eat, that's what we drink. That's everything we have. And we're so taken up in that, that we forget the urgency of plucking men as brands from the burning. We're in serious trouble. And it's on an individual basis. You see, it's not something that a corporate body can make a decision on. Our church couldn't vote to say, well, we're going to put Jesus first, or we're going to put soul winning first. Of course we ought to do that. But it's up to every individual for us to personally say, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the storm that is brewing, knowing the severity of the times, <clears throat> the awfulness if men are lost, and knowing the Savior. <clears throat> I'm going to do everything I can to influence everybody I can toward Christ. Now, we have a corporate body of individuals who have made that decision within the own, their own bosom. That's their decision. You know what's going to happen? The preacher will not have to beg you to come on Sunday night or Wednesday night. You're not going to say, hey, please come. 
What are you doing Wednesday night? What are you doing Sunday night? Why don't you come? See, he won't have to do that. That's really foolish. <laughs> when you think of it, isn't it? Really rather serious. Since when did the athletic director at Western University say, hey, please come over here to this game? Please, would you please come? Please come and have all kinds of gimmicks to get them there. No, there's something in the bosom of a person that says, I like sports, man, I like it. I want to get there. I want to be involved in it. There needs to be that thing inside of you, inside of me that says, I love God. I love his church. I love people. And I want to do everything I can to influence them toward Jesus Christ. First, because of the storm. It's a terrible storm brewing. Like the tornado that killed those people in Mississippi, I believe it was yesterday. Like the flash floods that have come across our nation, like those avalanches out in the west where snow has come down and covered people and they've frozen to death. There's a storm brewing in America. It's a storm of humanism, the storm of secularism, the storm of immorality, the storm of impurity, the storm of indifference. The storms are brewing. God's church just sits idly by. And Paul said, now listen, I, we're confident that whether we're present or absent, we may be accepted of him. We're confident that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And not only is there a storm brewing, and I could give you, I brought to the pulpit today statistics, and I don't even know whether I'll use them, and clippings that remind us of the storm that is brewing all across our nation and the tragic times in which we live. Listen to this. The possible loss of our liberties within the next decade. We are facing a Soviet-Cuban takeover in Central America, South America, and Mexico. We're facing the possible elimination of the Strategic Defense Initiative, our only hope to avoid nuclear blackmail by the Soviet Union. We're facing an unstoppable drug, drug epidemic which may very well wipe out the lives and bodies of this generation of young people. They spend $80 billion last year on illegal drugs. The AIDS plague may take the lives of 100 million persons by the turn of this century. The U.S. Surgeon General said this, is, said this on the platform of the university the other day, and he said, no vaccine is in sight. We're killing 1.5 million babies by abortion every year in this country. That's a holocaust. There's a teenage pregnancy crisis which defies belief. One teenage girl in four becomes pregnant in America. Antichrist, anti-religious forces are now purging God from America's history and her public school textbooks. Moral permissiveness now prevails in this country. Premarital, extramarital sex is everywhere. Homosexuality has been accepted as an alternative lifestyle. Storm brewing. A pretty severe storm. <clears throat> Moody Adams, who has stood in our pulpit, one of the most knowledgeable evangelists that I know today, said this. Sometime between 1993 and 1997, the United States of America as a nation will fall if AIDS keeps spreading at its present rate. 
The productive workforce, tax base, military forces, essential order of society will all crumble. The Statue of Liberty will become the most expensive tombstone in history. This will all happen sometime between 1993 and 1997 if AIDS cases continue doubling every 10 months. Despite this possibility of national collapse, we have been told not to panic, not to overreact to AIDS, but to calmly wait for science and education to save us. Only a few honest voices have sounded an alarm. Dr. Harvey Feinberg, Dean of the Harvard School of Public Health said, perhaps one million Americans are affected. We do not know the identities of most, neither do they, neither do their sexual partners. Despite the best efforts of the scientific community, biomedical research cannot eliminate the problem of AIDS. I'm not going to go on with giving you all those background things. I just want to tell you we're in a storm. There's a storm brewing. And God's people must not sit by idly. In the days before World War II in Germany, there were some Christians, good people. They went to church. They did not realize the storm that was brewing across Europe. They did not realize that in their own nation was a man who had been elected to power who was destined to try to exterminate a whole race and to take over the world leadership by war. And so they did nothing. And when they saw freight trains filled with people hauling off Jews, they thought we better keep our mouths shut and not say very much. By the time they got around to try to open their mouths, it was too late. They were silenced too. A storm brewing. Now, what am I suggesting? <clears throat> I'm saying that it's not a matter of taking arms. not a matter of everybody going and getting a gun and saying, well, I'm going to have a gun and I'm going to go and march down the streets and we're going to have a war. It isn't like that. I'm talking about there needs to be some militant Christians. There needs to be some God's people who with great compassion and love will say, as for me, I'm going to do what I can to touch people for Jesus. I'm going to ask Jesus to operate through me. I want God to use me in the midst of the storm because when the storm comes, Christ is the only one who will be invincible. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. Secondly, because of the severity We're not only talking about America going down the drain. If I'd preached like this 25, 35 years ago, people would have thought we were a traitor. But today everybody's aware that nobody likes America. We only have two or three friends around the world. Taiwan, we've sort of turned our back on that. Israel, and uh, having problems there. The rest of the world says, my name is Jimmy, I'll take all you gimme, and then they slap us in the face. This is not meant to be a message on building up nationality, helping us to be more loyal to America. I'm asking you, who is going to win America and the world? This is the question that is being asked among Christians all over the world, and especially during the month of March among Baptists. Who will win America? If we're going to do it, if we're going to reach this nation, we must 
realize the severity if we don't reach people for Christ. There are millions of AWOL people marching away from God, marching away from the cross, marching away from the church, marching away from love, marching away from heaven. And where are they going? To whom will you turn? There's only an emptiness. I think I've told you about going to the Baha'i temple in Haifa. Maybe some of the people in this room within the sound of my voice today were with us when we went to Haifa on the Mediterranean Sea. And the guide said, we want to show you the most beautiful temple in the world. I've never been to the Taj Mahal. I don't know whether it's more beautiful than the Taj Mahal. I've heard about, a lot about it. I never did see Solomon's temple, though they say about Solomon's temple not half was ever told. But we saw the Baha'i temple. It was beautiful. You come down off the Mount, Mount Carmel, you circle around and see this beautiful, beautiful temple there. And you come down and, and you get ready to go in and they say, now everybody must take your shoes off your feet. That's a holy place. It wasn't Muslim. It was the Baha'i temple. So we took our shoes off our feet and we walked into that temple and I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't know what I would see. But there was a beautiful altar area. Empty. E-M-P-T-Y, empty. Nothing. Just a marble, stone, cold altar area. Empty. The whole building was empty. There were no chairs in there, there were no pews in there. No people didn't go in there to sit there and worship God. They just came to sit there, look, observe. Empty, totally empty. And I thought that's how empty people's lives are who have given themselves to all of the things that are trying to win America and take over this nation. Emptiness, wasted lives. You go to work tomorrow. You'll find people filled with themselves and filled with their cursing and filled with their dirty jokes and filled with themselves and telling all the latest gossip. How empty. Unless we can get to them with that life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not disappointed in the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Christ is the power of God. What is the gospel of Christ? That God was in Christ, and he came to the earth. He touched blind eyes and caused them to see. He interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life. God was in Jesus, and they led Jesus to the cross. And he who had never sinned had all the sins of the world nailed to him. And when they put those nails in his hands and the spear in his side, the crown of thorns on his brow, they were all symbolic of the pricks of our sins. And Jesus bore it all. And he looked into the face of God and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, every man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever lived, who looks back to Calvary, can receive cleansing and forgiveness and atonement and can have something to live for and something to die for. And all that emptiness and vain vanity is, is, disappears. The severity if men do not know the Lord. The severity if this great nation 
who has been probably the greatest missionary task force in all the history of the world if this nation begins to close its doors spiritually. Now, who can keep that from happening? These junior boys and girls right here. You'll take Jesus seriously and not be a coward, not live under the circumstances. Remember that when Jesus Christ comes to live inside of your life, you're a new person in Christ. You're different. Therefore, you need to confess him. You need to follow him in baptism. You need to start walking with him. Start influencing other junior boys and girls for Jesus Christ, trying to win them to the Lord. God will use you. The same with the teens in this building today. Instead of being so intent on having a good time, you would say to your teachers and youth leaders and so on, take us to reach people for Christ. Take us on some mission journeys where we can see people saved and we can influence others for Christ. And when we do have these youth activities that you pour so much of yourself in, I'm going to do what I can to go and get some kid from down the street and bring him, get him involved, get her involved. Because I want them to know what Christ can do. That's what I'm talking about. The severity of wasted life. Last of all, who's going to win America? When we consider the Savior, the Lord Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us. If you go to Jerusalem today and you go to the temple area, it's built on Mount Moriah. Jerusalem is built on several hills, Mount Scopus, Mount of Olives, Mount Zion, and Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the Mount of Sacrifice. And if you follow Mount Moriah, you have to look carefully because the city's built all over the city and over the hills, and you can hardly tell where one hill ends and another hill starts. It's like Bowling Green. We have hills in Bowling Green, but unless you watch carefully, you hardly recognize the hills because there's so much city to it. That's the way it is there. But if you follow Mount Moriah closely and you go to the northern tip of Mount Moriah, you find there a place called Jeremiah's Grotto. Jeremiah's Grotto. 500 years before Lord Jesus was born, Jeremiah the prophet came to the city of Jerusalem. He preached, he pled, he wept, he begged, he did everything he could to encourage Jerusalem to repent and turn to God, but all to no avail. And in the year 586 B.C., the Babylonian hordes came in and sacked the city and tore the walls down and burned the temple. And Jeremiah walked through that once beautiful holy city and said, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? And then he repaired to this little place in North Mount Moriah. They call it Jeremiah's Grotto to this day, and he stood there and wept over the city. And it is said that, it is, that that's the place he wrote the lamentation, the song of lamentations over Jerusalem. 500 years after Jeremiah was there, the Lord Jesus came to Jerusalem. He prayed, he wept, he preached, he taught, and then he went out to the north Golgotha place. At the tip of North Mount Moriah, 
and he died. He bled and he died for our sins that people might be saved. And that gospel story has been told all around the world. And you know the strange thing is when it's told, it changes people. Just like that. If we receive it. Sometimes we become gospel hardened. Sometimes we hear that same old story so often that we say, well, why can't the preacher think of something else to say? Why doesn't he give us some newspaper account? Or why doesn't he talk about something else? And we get gospel hardened. I want to tell you, the latest news from Washington can't change your life. The latest news from the United Nations can't change your life. But the news from the Word of God can change your life. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it at all. It is the power of God unto salvation. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus into your heart, you've never really invited him in, do it today. Let him come in and be your personal Savior, your Lord, and Jesus will change you. And then you will have a life-changing story to go and take to a world in darkness that can bring others to Christ. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for the beautiful story of Jesus. We wonder who's going to win America. Atheism, agnosticism, secularism, humanism. But Lord, there's enough power right in this very room within the sound of my voice today that if some of God's people could really get hold of the Lord and let the Lord get hold of their lives, it would be unleashed the power of God to change people. Lord, help us to do it. We pray that whatever the sin in the camp is, it would be removed. That thou wouldst give us the power to see people saved and be influential in winning others. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. May we stand, please. What's the number of our song? Page 249. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Listen to this. Find that page number and then look this way just a moment. Number one. Listen intently a moment. If you've been saved, but you've not come out openly and declared yourself a, a disciple of the Lord, you've not taken upon him the scandal of Christian faith by falling in baptism, You've been too timid, or you've waited, you put it off. Something radically wrong in the heart. I want to ask you today to take that stand for Christ. Be what God wants you to be. If you are saved and you're living for Jesus, right where you stand, would you just say, Lord, I want to win this nation. I want God to use me to help win America to Christ by giving, by going, and by glowing. I want there to be holiness in my life. I'm willing to go and tell others. I'm willing to do what I can where I am to reach people for Jesus. Could you say that to the Lord? While we begin to sing, will you come? And if there's someone here who is not saved, you've never given your heart to Jesus, 
I want to urge you today to come. Trust Christ as your personal Savior. Confess Jesus as your Lord. Will you do it while we begin to sing?